I'm Christina Young. Welcome back to Gloucester Book Club's podcasts. Tonight we'll be talking about The Redhead by the Side of the Road, written by American author Anne Tyler. Long-listed for the Booker Prize, Redhead is a sparkling novel about misperception, second chances and the sometimes elusive power of human connection. Micah Mortimer is a creature of habit. He's a self-employed tech expert, superintendent of his Baltimore apartment building, cautious to a fault behind the steering wheel. He seems content leading a steady, circumscribed life. But one day his routines are blown apart when his woman friend tells him she's facing eviction and a teenager shows up at Micah's door claiming to be his son. These surprises and the ways they throw Micah's meticulously organised life off kilter risk changing him forever. Ann Tyler was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota in 1941 and grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina. She is the author of more than 20 novels and she now lives in Baltimore, Maryland. So tonight I'm joined by two members of Gloucester Book Club, Zoe and Joe. Hi guys. Ah, oh, thank you, Christina. Yeah, I was just um, before we started the recording there having a chat with you and Joe. I think this is my first uh, podcast of 2022, I believe. So happy to be back. And um, yeah, I've got lots to say about this novel, so I'm looking forward to getting into it. But I'm actually going to start off the podcast by reading to you the opening scene. You have to wonder what goes on through the mind of a man like Micah Mortimer. He lives alone. He keeps himself to himself. His routine is etched in stone. At 7.15 every morning, you see him set out on his run. Along about 10 or 10.30, he slaps the magnetic tech hermit sign onto the roof of his Kia. The time he leaves on his calls will vary, but not a day seems to go by without several clients requiring his services. Afternoons, he can be spotted working around the apartment building. He moonlights as the super. He'll be sweeping the walk or shaking out the mat or conferring with a plumber. Monday nights before trash day, he hauls the garbage bins to the alley. Wednesday nights, the recycling bins. At 10 p.m. or so, the three squinty windows behind the foundation plantings go dark. His apartment is in the basement. It's probably not very cheery opening scenes of this novel what what did you learn about Micah just from reading that opening paragraph what did you learn Zoe? Well it's incredibly formulaic isn't it you've got everything assigned to the days of the week you definitely get the sense that he's a man of routine um, but not only that he enjoys the routine it's not dull it's not drudgery to him it's something that's neat and precise and ordered and this is his world in which he inhabits and he's very much proud of that especially as a superintendent for his flat or apartment complex, I should say. It seems as if he has a real sense of pride in making sure these things are done when they should be done as well. Well, I agree with Zoe. Um, it's a very good introduction. It's typical Anne Tyler. She sets the sets the um, scene beautifully, very spare writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it tells us enough about him to start with. We don't need to know any more at this stage. He comes over as being a bit maybe on the spectrum, possibly, or a bit OCD. Um, very set in his ways and very rigid about his uh, routine and and that turns out to be the case and a big part of the issues he has. 
I would say that's a very good introduction. It definitely tells us where we're going. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do we learn about Micah based on, if you remember the interactions that he has with his neighbours and his customers throughout the book, how would you describe his communication style? Well, there's an interesting dynamic in the way that Anne Tyler sets this up. So writing about Micah in the third person enables her to kind of as the story progresses and you see his interactions with his girlfriend, with his family and with his neighbours in the apartment complex, you pick up signs that although he might not be aware of it and in fact he's very unaware of some of his maybe social awkwardnesses or anxieties or things that he's not communicating, other characters do pick up on it. There's a lady he lives with who's a perennial dater. She loves getting out there on the dating scene and it's always kind of, I think, maybe trying it with Micah as well, seeing if he's got anything to say to her. And he just does not pick up on this at all. But things that Anne Tyler does by talking about body language, about the way that the other characters react to him, even if Micah doesn't realise, you then start to pick these things up and that can be quite humorous at times. Yeah, it was quite humorous, wasn't it? Because all of that was going on and yet he didn't seem to notice it at all. Not a clue, no. <laughs> we'll come back to that later, actually, though, because there are other incidences of that in the book, aren't there, too, mm -hmm. as they go on. Uh, what did you make of him, Joe, with all of the interactions that he was having with various people? A very awkward man. Um, not at ease at all with his um, neighbours or his clients. Uh, all his connections with them are perfunctory. All his conversation is matter of fact and just get the job done and get out and get away get his money and go um i agree with his um contact with yolanda his his um, dating site mad neighbor uh, mm -hmm. she she does appear to be giving him signs that she might be interested but he doesn't see them mm -hmm. um, there are there's another occasion where a more, more overt approach is made yeah. either is not a clue has he and it if it's a, a novella about anything it's a novella about misread signals what about his character, though? Because I felt that he was actually a very kind man. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say that with regards to his customer service, he was somebody who wasn't disinterested in the lives of his customers. He just had no perception that this may be something that others are interested in. I got a sense of somebody who's a square peg in a round hole. Didn't know those social cues, but that's not to say he's not a caring and empathetic person. Um, I know we're going to talk a little bit in a minute about what happens with Brink, but I think that storyline would never have developed if if Micah wasn't a caring person who did love people. He just doesn't know how to love. No, he's quite removed, isn't he? He's he's distanced almost from his from emotions as well. I think, and and that's why he doesn't. He finds it difficult to pick those up in other people as well. He's pretty goofy, I think you would say, isn't he, in lots of ways. And he, talks, <laughs> he talks to himself with that fake French accent when he when he's cooking, and, uh, and that's so funny. And and then he, he imagines these traffic gods applauding his excellent yeah. motor yeah. skills yeah. when he's driving. I found those bits really humorous. What did you think? He, he lives in this sort of strange Walter Mittyland world of his, where he's got this connection with the traffic gods and and tries to um, portray himself as being a TV chef, something like that, mm. describing what he's doing, using a French accent. It's all a bit bizarre. Um, yeah. And I would suppose if I had to assign one word to him, the impression that comes to me first is nerd. Likeable nerd, but nerd. Mm. And, and of course, because he's involved in tech as well, 
he isn't introspective, but he sure is sympathetic. I had a lot of empathy for him. Do you think, is he meant to be on the autistic spectrum, Zoe? Well, I wouldn't like to diagnose, and I don't have any experience personally of being on the autism spectrum, but it's something I wondered because of the lack of, of social cues and it made me think about how much in life is unspoken in relationships that we have with people and if somebody were on the autism spectrum and was struggling to understand why that was um then i can imagine it may show itself in the, in kind of the perfunctory to borrow joe's words conversations that mike is having um i really don't think it's it's somebody that doesn't care it's maybe somebody that either struggles with socialization because of autism reasons or maybe just somebody who is an introvert and is, is really very shy and is unaware of some more emotional cues and, and things that other people may be better at, at picking up yeah i agree with you i think you know he he was brought up in a family of sisters wasn't he a big family mm. of sisters he was the youngest child, I believe. And so he's got these older sisters are all sort of around him, mothering him, giving him good advice. And I can just imagine growing up in that sort of family where you don't have an awful lot to say, actually, because all your sisters are doing the talking for you and no one's really listening to you. So that's possibly why. And it could just be that he is very introvert. I agree with you. Whilst we're on the subject of his sisters, a part of me did wonder whether because he is the only male in that family as well, he's the only brother, whether part of it is to do with, um, you notice with Cass as well, that she's expected to kind of mother him sometimes and there are lots of cues that she wants him to pick up on about moving in potentially. And they made me think about the way that men and women can be socialised in different ways. Women are expected to be thinking of the needs of others, of being empaths and being intuitive to other people's needs in a way sometimes that men aren't always. So I wonder partly if it was a gendered thing as well. Picking up on Cass, um, just so the listeners know, Cass is um, his girlfriend, but he refuses to call anybody who's over the age of 40 a girlfriend. He calls her his woman friend. Remember the bit in the, in, in the book where she tells him quite early on in the book that she is going to be evicted. Joe, what was his reaction to that? Well, he just didn't see the cues, did he? I mean, she obviously wanted to move in. She was in a bit of a spot and she was making it quite clear, look, I'm open to moving in with you if you want me. And he blew it, mm. just did not see what she was trying to say. And that led to her ending their relationship. And there is a quote that I'll read out from the book. Sometimes when he was dealing with people, he felt like he was operating one of those claw machines on a boardwalk, those shovel things where you try to scoop up a prize, but the controls were too unwieldy and you worked at too great a remove. So I could just imagine, he was like that, wasn't he? He was like a claw and he was very awkward and he was trying to pick things up and he didn't quite pick things up properly and he often mm. dropped them. And I love the title of that, his tech book that he wrote, which was called First Plug It In. Yeah. <laughs> that really made me laugh because actually, yeah, haven't we all been there? You know, this thing's not working. Oh no, it's not plugged in. So actually, I thought that was quite funny. There's quite a lot of humour in this book, don't you think? Very understated humour, definitely sort of goes under the radar, but there is a lot that kind of makes you go, huh. 
yeah. I know someone like that or I'm like that. Yeah, I think there is. Let's talk a little bit about Brink, who turns up on the doorstep of Micah claiming that he's his son or claiming that Micah could be his father. And Micah invites him in, doesn't he? And he allows him to stay over, which is really unusual for Micah in, in his behaviour because he doesn't really want anyone staying over in his flat at all. What was the impression of Brink? And how did it sort of change things for Micah over time? If it, if it changed them at all, do you think? Well, for me, Brink comes over as a very entitled, um, spoiled, preppy boy in his first year at college. Um, he feels he's under huge pressure from his parents to perform and succeed. And he, he doesn't feel he's up to it. I think he's struggling and he's trying to work out how could that be? I'm not like my my uh, adoptive father. I'm not, not like my parents. What's happened in my history that's made me like this? And he, he's put two and two together and made five mm. and concluded that it must be that his real dad, he decides this must be Micah. Mm. That's how he presents himself on the doorstep. And what does Micah make of that? Well, he's a bit taken aback, but he doesn't seem to be completely flummoxed. Mm. He's almost seems to be slightly titillated by the thought that he might have been mm. Brink's father and he might, with his former college girlfriend, have had a full sexual relationship, which he didn't. It makes you wonder whether Micah is feeling a bit wistfully about his time at college, whether things might have been different. Do you think he might be wishing he had a son? Mm. I think it's a lot of wish fulfilment. Let's just talk a little bit about the title of this book. Redhead by the side of the road. What does it mean? <laughs> well, I was convinced just going on the title alone that as you follow Micah going out for his morning jog, you know, I was convinced he was going to see a gorgeous redhead by the side of the road. Um, but actually, it's just a fire hydrant, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> and because he's not, he can't run with his contact, his glasses on. He, he can't see very well when he's running. So when he runs, he just sees this red blob at the side of the road and, he, you know, and he doesn't. And he passes it every day. He knows he knows what it is. But it's the redhead by the side of the road. I, um, when we talked about it at book club, it that's that whole discussion was very funny, wasn't it, Joe? Because, you know, it, yeah. it, it actually is a metaphor, really, for the fact that he is he can't see a lot of things. Exactly. Yeah. And, and not only that, he keeps on. Every day he goes past it and has the thought in his mind that it's a red-headed girl or whoever. And he fails to realise that even 24 hours before, he worked out that it's a fire hydrant. Yes. So he's not got the ability to retain that perception, even for yeah. one day. Yeah, it's very much the sort of inability to see clearly, which causes him, doesn't it, to yeah. misread relationships in his life. Yeah. Uh, and he's doing that. He's done that a lot. He talks in the book about previous um, girlfriends that he's had mm. um, and how those relationships haven't lasted. Um, and this one with Cass seems to have a lot of potential, mm. but he's messing it up. Just the scene where he goes to Cass's house and brings all her stuff that she's left at his flat and just dumps it outside her door. Again, you know, he's completely misreading the situation there that she would really like to be back together with him, mm. uh, not ending it. How, what did you think about the future of that relationship? Because they seem to sort of be looking like they might get back together towards the end of the book. 
I found that quite frustrating as a resolution to their kind of relationship because I the trouble is it without spoiling it like you say it's not a definite yes things look like they might be heading back towards that way again but that's never confirmed but just for argument's sake to say if it is and they do go back into a relationship again I feel frustrated um, that on Cass's part she seems to be doing a lot of the emotional labour and nothing really convinced me in Micah's behaviour that he had changed. He may be starting to get an inkling of his misconceptions but that doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to get better and they may move in together but then he may not get the hint that she wants to get married. I don't see it getting any better really. I agree with Zoe that he it appears that he's starting to get an inkling of what the problem's been and he, it's not certain it's going to work out. But I think for um, a man like Micah, that is a huge step, mm. huge step that he's realised. He's, he's lost all these girls in the past because he hasn't really understood what they wanted and not been committed in his approach to their relationships. And now he's maybe starting to tumble that he's got to try harder, got to show mm. more commitment. It may not seem a huge change, but I think for a man like Micah, it is a big step. There's a scene at the end which makes me, which made me think that Micah was lost like this little lost boy in a playground mm. um, who had scraped his knee and teacher had come to, you know, take care of the wound on his knee and held, held his hand and walked back in with him. It was almost like, I was thinking, is Cass gonna turn out to be like a mum to him, like a mother figure, you know, that he- That's what I mean, yeah. I wasn't absolutely sure, like you, Zoe, that this was going to go the full, you know, distance, this relationship. But I think I could see that they would maybe make a go of it, perhaps for a couple of years or so. But that Micah's personality, it's very hard, isn't it, when you're a particular sort of person to completely flip that around and be somebody different. And I think he had his own routines and he didn't really want those to be messed with. And I think maybe over time that relationship could have failed, too. The routine business is probably going to be their biggest um, thing to tackle and their, their biggest difficulty. You mustn't lose sight of the fact that inside every man, there's a little boy lost. I guess. I don't know. But I think we'll agree to disagree on that point. I just Cass spends all day looking after kids. She doesn't need another one at home, is my opinion. But it was definitely a very emotive scene. I'll give you that. What do you think? We, we I said we'd come back to this, you know, about him missing the cues and missing signals from other people, quite often women, actually. Um, mm. When he goes round to do the uh, to visit a client, and there's one in particular I'm thinking about here called Rosalie. What happens there? Well, Rosalie, we should say, is quite a bit younger than Micah by the sounds of it. She's just inherited her grandma's house and everything from the way she dresses to her inflections. And she seems very girlish. Um, and I'm not sure if she's potentially seeing Micah as a kind of sugar daddy scenario or whether she is genuinely interested in him. But nevertheless, she's finding reasons to text him outside of work and call him over for a problem that is non-existent. That is to try and recover her granny's password. She does. I mean, really? <laughs> yeah, Very yeah. obvious. <laughs> again, obvious to us readers, but totally not obvious to Micah, is it? Yeah. Again, was quite funny. What did you think of that whole scene like that, Joe? Well, I, I agree. She she was 
pretty well throwing herself at him, wasn't she? <laughs> he couldn't see. Would you would you have missed those cues? Would you have been able to see what was going on there as a man? Oh well, I uh, I would like to think I would have had a clue what was going on. Yeah. But, uh, my own track record is not fantastic on picking up signals, <laughs> so I'm not I'm not going to claim to be anything better than Micah. So it, yeah, I guess, and she was an awful lot younger. I mean, it came across in the book really that he didn't have any trouble attracting females to to mm. him. Did you get the impression that he was quite a good-looking man? He was in his 40s, isn't he? Or just a bit interesting to to women? Well, maybe the quirkiness was appealing. I don't know. I mean, he's 43. I mean, when you, when you consider um, Rosalie, she's a lot younger. She's a student, isn't she? So, so assume she's in her early 20s. Um, why would a, a girl of that age be interested in a man twice her age? And that may well explain why he didn't pick up on the signals. He may have thought this is ridiculous. Anne Tyler is an amazingly clever and well-observed writer. And at the age of 80, she's still doing it amazingly well. What did you feel when you were reading the book, Zoe? Did you like it? I liked it initially. Um, for me, it seemed like a book um, full of a lot of dead ends. Um, but that being said, I can appreciate Anne Tyler's craft and I can see that she's very good at these character studies of middle America, the average Joe. Um, the beginning that you read out of the podcast, Christina, building up his life and saying, he's look, he's a man of ordinary means. He has a very set routine. This is what he does. Really kind of raised my expectations for his story to go somewhere. And what it is really is a very slow burning book about the misconceptions that one man has in his life. Um, and it is an excellent character study of him. Um, but sadly, it did drag a little bit for me. And when you said it was a short novel, I tend to listen to my uh, books. I prefer hearing things as an audiobook, mm. And I couldn't believe that it was as short as you said it was, because unfortunately for me, the the last third particularly really did drag for me. It dragged for you. Yeah. Mm, I was frustrated with him. I wanted to give her a good shake. <laughs> well, I, I love Anne Tyler's writing. I think she's she's got the ability to describe ordinary people and their ordinary lives fantastically. She she she's not um, interested in spectacular people with their exciting um, globe-trotting lives. It's always ordinary people. And we are, let's face it, face it, all of us ordinary on the scale of things. Yeah. None of us is going to set the world on fire. Most yeah. of us have lives that are relatively straightforward, down to earth and ordinary. And I'm more interested um, myself in hearing about the lives of people like me rather than spectacular achievers. Uh, they call her the laureate of little lives and the mistress of the mundane. Mm. I think those are good descriptions for her. Pretty yeah. good descriptions. It's, it's, easy to, it's easy to criticise it as being not very literary or anything like that. But for me, she can get the ordinary man or woman and describe them with the fewest syllables that she needs um, in a way that ordinary people can understand. So, brilliant writer. Yeah, I think she is quite literary, actually. Um, I, I, do, I do feel like that. In fact, I think she's described by some people as the Jane Austen of our time. So yeah, I can see how that fits in. I really like the way she writes, you know, it, it's it's not over flowery, it, you know, it is fairly succinct. And I think she writes the characters, ordinary characters, like you say, Joe, but makes them extraordinary. And maybe that's what we all are. 
we are all, you know, possibly ordinary people, but actually all of us have got some extraordinary bits to us, haven't we? We're not all the same. And I think that really comes through in her writing. And I, I like that very much about what she does. There are lots of, of novels out there by Anne Tyler. She's 80. I don't know if she's going to write another one or not. It'll be interesting to see whether she's got another one in her there. I wondered what, how you thought the gender roles were treated within Redhead by the Side of the Road. Would you say that Micah is quite a traditionalist? I'll just read you a line which might sort of help you with this. Not even a teenager yet, not even fully aware of sex. He had always longed to have a girl of his very own. Mm, yes, I know I've picked up on the sort of gender differences between his interactions already, but that line, I remember hearing it and going, hmm, OK. I don't think that people misunderstand misogyny sometimes. People think, oh, I'm a, I'm a nice man, um, therefore I, I'm not being sexist or misogynist. But in that view, he really specifically is treating a woman as an object or a, a tick on the uh, life goals um, and doesn't really care about what woman, just mm. a will do, um, which I found a really interesting observation because I bet more people think like that than they would <laughs> like to realise, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah so maybe sort of like a girlfriend or a woman friend to him is like a possession, mm. you know, um, that, yeah, he'd always longed to have a girl of his very own. How, what did you make of it, Joe, as, as a male? Well, I, I didn't see that bit as particularly misogynistic. I thought he meant, I want to be in that club. That mm. he's, he's surrounded by sisters when he's brought up and he likes young female, he likes his sisters and he likes girls. And she does refer to the fact that he's, although he's prepubescent at that stage, he is bewitched by girls and the way they behave aspects of the way they make themselves up and do their hair um, talks about uh, the the um, bewitching tendrils that flow from the back of their necks when they put their hair up okay that's an objectification in a way but i think we need to cut him a bit of slack here he's only a young boy mm -hmm. i think to have that thought is not necessarily um evidence of him being misogynistic at that sort of age I mean, that would, but he likes the idea of being in the club where mm -hmm. there are girls around him um, I think he is quite traditional in his views and maybe if he was in a relationship where he was living with somebody, uh, you know, he would possibly expect there to be kind of dividing lines between what they did and what the man did and what the woman did in that setup. You know, I, j I just feel that he probably is quite, I don't know, not blinkered, but, you know, he, he has a one track sort of mind yeah, I can see that I mean if I'm being devil's advocate and I'm cutting him a bit more slack here yeah I can see how he may think in terms of binary things like I would expect my girlfriend to cook and clean but also I could chip in with the cleaning and I do more of the yard stuff and the heavy lifting and earning the wage I can certainly yeah. see him because he's a man of routine thinking in quite binary ways as well that does seem to fit his character mm -hmm. And because he's a man of routine, he's not going to want anybody coming in and messing up with those routines. So he's still going to be doing the recycling on a Wednesday, he's still going to be doing his runs. And if anyone comes in and sort of tries to mess with that routine, I think that will throw him off kilter quite. I think that's fair enough as well, you know. I mean, when you've lived on your own for so long, part of me did wonder towards the end of the book and think about the other side of things well does he need to change if he's happy how he is and he enjoys his life 
why should he change to fit social norms and other people as long as he's happy? Is it a book we'd recommend to to book clubs to read and discuss? Yeah, definitely. There's so much in it to talk about, even for a, a book that's less than 200 pages long. When, when we discussed it, I can remember calling it Multum in Parvo, which is much in little. And yeah. There is so much in it. It's remarkable. And, and what's in it is everyday stuff that we all have to deal with in our daily lives and how we conduct our relationships. And, and certainly a book that will provoke a lot of discussion. When I, I, I remember reading something um, where Anne Tyler says it takes her about three years to write a book. And she always peppers her books with likeable characters, even if they are a bit odd or a bit weird in some way. She always wants to like them. She can't, she says she can't be for three years around a character that she really dislikes. So, you know, you're always going to find characters that have got extraordinary bits in them, bits that might be frustrating to others, but actually they're quite attractive and quite likeable, which I thought that's quite interesting. What do you think, Zoe? Is it a book that you would have wanted to read at book club? Because I know you maybe struggled a bit more with it. Yeah, I did struggle a bit more with it. I would say this book is perfect for this situation because although it's one I probably wouldn't have stuck with and completed had I read it on my own, this discussion already has changed some of my views about what I think. And actually, on reflection, it's a lot richer than I realised. I may not have to like Micah 100% or agree with what he does, but actually I think he is a likeable character. It, for me, it's just a shame that I was hoping some of the subplots might take off a bit more. Um, I'm kind of the opposite to Joe, really. I, I like reading fantastical fiction because it's a step away from our ordinary lives, but that's not to say that this book it wouldn't be enjoyable. And there's already been lots to discuss, as you can hear. <laughs> yeah, sure. If you're going to give it a score, what would you score it out of 10? I think my initial response was to score it a lot lower, but I would say I would score it at about a seven now. I, I tend to be on the higher spectrum of, of grading books, um, but because it's given us so much to talk about, it's, it's been really enjoyable, actually. If I remember rightly, I gave it eight when we discussed it, and that seems about right to me from today. Okay. Well, I think I gave it an eight as well. Thank you guys for joining me tonight and discussing Redhead by the Side of the Road. I hope the listeners out there have enjoyed it. You may feel that you want to go and pick this book up. If you've not already, you might find some of our thoughts helpful as well. Um, next time, we are going to be discussing Still Life, which is a new book by the writer, British writer Sarah Winman. So I hope you'll all come back and join us then. For now... Everyone say bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Gloucester Book Club's podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google and Apple Podcasts and many more. We look forward to having you join us again soon.